1: Quick mention, at the top of the show, you're going to hear me chatting with author Dan Sean, as well as his agent, Renee Zuckerbrot, and his editor, Carolyn Zancan. We had a good time, really good people. Please follow them on Twitter. And do yourselves a favor and go check out Caregiver. It's a band, and their song Everything is featured in this episode, and I just can't get it out of my head. The artist is Lindsay Bitson, but she goes by Caregiver. Please look them up. Give them a shout out when you listen to their song. Tell them how much you love it. That's what I love about the show. And I know I sound different from the rest of the episode in this little intro, but that's just because I wanted to make those mentions and I am recording this from inside uh, a closet in my kid's room while they're out watching a movie. So (laughs) anyway, thanks for listening. This was a really great episode to put together and I'm so happy you get to listen to it.
2: I also take a nap after dinner, which is an awesome thing to do.
1: (laughs) I'm actually just learning about naps and I took two yesterday They were great.
0: How did it take you so long to learn about naps? I would never have made it to 39 without naps.
1: (laughs) Well, I have to thank my two stepdaughters. They
2: run me into the ground. (laughs) Yeah. That was actually what started naps for me was kids. Because you just, when they were still napping, I would lay down with them. It wasn't like I would do extra things while they were napping.
0: Sometimes the best thing you can do for everybody is sleep.
1: It's true. It allows you to uh, recharge and become like a normal functioning human to some degree, I guess. <laughs> Carolyn, I'm glad you could join us.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm sorry my blues are clashing. I didn't know I was also going to be on video, so I have like different blues. The whales and the stripes don't match. I'm so sorry, but I'm glad to be here nonetheless.
2: I really like the whales though. <laughs> thank you.
0: It's my son's room.
2: Is that wallpaper.
0: <laughs> it's wallpaper. Wow, my my son picked it out. My five year old. He really loved it, and so he said, "You know what? Let's do the whales."
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll bet that that's something that you can kind of contemplate when you're going to sleep. Um, <laughs> I had stuff like that when I was a kid, where you know you just sort of. Lay there and yeah. study it, and make up stories about things, and
0: <laughs> name all the whales. Right.
2: I didn't
1: have fancy wallpaper, but I did have those ceilings that have that texture quality where you could just. Oh stare yeah, so you can see faces popcorn. in them
2: and monsters <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah, that's that's
1: awesome.
3: Hi, can you guys hear me? We can. Hi, Renee. Hey, Renee. Sorry about that. I have no technical skills, but if you can hear me,
2: yeah, that's
3: okay, right? We can. We can. Man, you
2: we sound can. a little like a genie in a in a bottle, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's kind of effective, though. You sound like Oz. I don't know. Maybe right.
2: <laughs> we can't see you. Your voice is coming from a distant place. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I usually sound like Minnie
3: Mouse with a cold, so maybe Oz is better.
2: Are you in? A, are you in the conference room?
3: I am in the conference
2: room. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like you're alone in a very big conference room.
3: Oh my God, I'm um, Putin. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't been recorded, has it? Yes,
2: <laughs> this,
1: this, ha- this has all been recorded and it canon will be used against you. <laughs> <laughs> that was me chatting with Dan Sean about his new book, Sleepwalk. We're also joined by Renee Zuckerbrot and Carolyn Zankan. It's a good episode. I'm Jude Brewer, welcome to Storybound. So Dan, you were mentioning how your son really got into your character from your book Sleepwalk and he was sending you pictures as he was traveling saying, oh, this belongs in the book, this belongs in the book, et cetera. So I'm curious about your relationship with your sons and writing, you know, when those two things
2: intertwined. But when they were both teenagers, because they were both really good readers, really smart readers, you know, I spend so much time up here in my study, you know, I felt like this was a way that i could be close to them was to you know actually share what i'm what i'm really doing because when i was growing up i would work with my dad sometimes involuntarily but you know like working in the garage or whatever um and this is sort of my version of come out here and work on this car with me
1: what were some of your first jobs did you follow in your dad's footsteps and work on cars?
2: No, I, I, was, I was really bad at almost all sort of like, rural Nebraska guy activities. And uh, so the, the first job I had was as a radio DJ at KSID AM FM in Sydney, Nebraska. Started doing that as, as a high school student, I was 16 and did the night show like three nights a week where we were allowed to play a limited amount of rock music. And then after college, I worked briefly as a tech writer for an accounting firm called Arthur Anderson that is no longer in existence. You may remember they crashed and burned in 2008. And I cheered. And then I quit that job and got a job as a DJ again at a nightclub where I did mixes and some VJing, if you remember that, where I'd make little collages and stuff to go along with the disco beats.
1: I can't help but notice the pattern. All your jobs you're mentioning are at night.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That was, how I guess that was something that made me really hate Arthur Anderson. I mean, there were a lot of reasons, but was having to get up in the morning and do a, a nine to five. That's the only nine to five job I've ever had was like whatever the three months I worked for that accounting firm. It was so boring. I don't I didn't understand, like, if I was done, why I couldn't leave at four, or why I just had to, like, sit there.
3: Hey, 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 hey.
2: Hi, I'm Dan Sean, where you're listening to Storybound, and I'm gonna be reading from my new novel, Sleepwalk. First, you submerge a 100 microgram tab of LSD in a 150 milliliter miniature bottle of vodka. Then you give it a shake and leave it in a cool dark place for 48 hours or so until the LSD dissolves. I like to take what they call a microdose every couple of days. Just a few drips from an eyedropper, maybe a fifth of a tablespoon. It's sub-perceptual. You don't even hardly notice it in the day-to-day, but it does a nice job of bringing the wonders of being alive to the fore and pushing the horrors a tiny bit back, which is an important survival technique. Voila, the bliss of temporarily giving a shit. I open my eyes and it's maybe 10 in the morning I could stand to sleep longer, but the dog is yawning and stretching beside me, then giving his ears a flappity-flap to make sure I'm good and awake. So I stick my bare foot out from under the covers and test the warmth of the day. It's a chill morning, no doubt, but Flip has already bounded down and he's doing a little dance in front of the door, grinning that wide, tongue-lulling pitbull grin. And he's pushing out past me even before i get the knob all the way turned the camper is still at the edge of the walmart parking lot which is as big as several football fields but mostly empty flip strolls around seriously looking for a strategic place to drizzle his pee on and i have a seat on the stoop with a little ladyfinger joint sorting through my stack of license plates until i find a colorado plate with unexpired tags Colorado is but 15 minutes to the south, and in my opinion, their highway patrol are not keen on out-of-state vehicles. At last, Flip finds a place by the fence to bestow his morning bowel movement, and comes running back to me, pleased and ready for breakfast. When you travel as much as we do, it's good to have a routine. Flip gets four raw eggs and toast, and I settle down to French press my coffee and do the crossword or the Sudoku from the newspaper I bought on my way out of Walmart last night. As it turns out, the crossword is on the same page as the opinions in the Straub Star Herald, which I think is a bad idea. The headline says, Another quake, another hurricane. Evidence not of end times, but of steely human resolve. That's the spirit, I say and fold the article over so that I can focus on one across. Very funny. Six letters. I lick the lead of my pencil. H-A-R, H-A-R. Har har. That might make a good tombstone epitaph. After my coffee and my puzzle I wash out Flip's dish and make myself a breakfast smoothie. I like to be adventurous in this and so today I have a carrot, turmeric, clove of garlic, frozen mango slices, half a banana, apple juice, and a shot of whiskey. Blend the shit out of it and then gulp it down. In another life, I'd have a food truck in Los Angeles that I'd call Adventurous Smoothie, and my motto would be, see how far I can go. It's probably 11 o'clock in the morning, time to get going, so I fire up one of the fresh burner phones and call Harry Longbeck. Hey, Harry, it's Bear Williams. I was checking in with you to see if you had anything for me. He does. A transport job, but it's down in Texas, north of Abilene. I ask if they'll pay mileage and per diem, and he thinks they will. So it's agreed, and I say it looks like 12 hours on I-25 South, and he says, It would be better if it was not more than eight hours. And I say, I'll do my best. At times like these, I wish I had that satellite radio, but then again, it's probably not a great idea for someone like me to connect himself to a transponder in outer space that can follow my every move and potentially transmit that information to the government or other parties. I have to keep myself clean. That's one of my main selling points. I don't officially exist. I don't have an address or a social security number or a credit rating. I've never had an email or a Facebook page or a Wi-Fi connected phone. I'm a blank Scrabble piece, and that's not easy to find these days.
1: So, Dan, I've got to ask, because the character in Sleepwalk is living off the grid, is that a fantasy of yours to live off the grid? Do you live off the grid?
2: I do live off the grid. I mean... I'm on Twitter but um I'm I retired from Oberlin College in 2018 and I have not done anything that I don't want to since then. So I feel like pretty cl- I mean, this is pretty this is pretty comfortably off the grid for me. Nobody can tell me what to do except Renee.
1: Do you agree with that Renee that as dan's agent you can actually tell him what to do
3: no you know dan and i are the same age so it's it's not like i feel like i have any authority over him and we have a really straightforward relationship and so i may suggest that something is in his best interest (laughs) and i may mention it a few times via email via the phone but you know i You know, he's he's an adult. Actually, this is this is part of my philosophy about being an agent is that, you know, I treat all my clients like adults and I give them advice, but I don't badger them. (laughs) Um, And, you know, at some point I stop nudging um, because and I'm not talking necessarily about Dan here, but if someone keeps saying, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then, you know, it becomes clear they're not going to do it. They don't want to do it for whatever reason. And that's fine.
2: Yeah, this there's there's a really specific thing that's happening right now which is that I am supposed to be writing essays, personal essays. Personal essays. And I am really resistant to it in part because I start out trying to be funny and charming and by the end of the the essay it's I've like Revealed something about myself that I'm really embarrassed by or it becomes incredibly depressing And I'm like, oh, no, I just wanted this to be Light and make me seem like a delightful witty person (laughs) Instead I've I've like revealed my secret childhood shame (laughs) I feel like
1: that's incumbent upon you not knowing your ending right right like you're just following along that feeling
2: I think it's also a personality quirk is that I, I just sort of slide into gloom and self-loathing in it's really easy for me.
3: Can I add two things that I might have missed before? First of all, everyone is sliding into gloom. I mean, the world (laughs) comes to fire. I mean, who isn't? Welcome to 2022, yeah. No kidding. Right? I mean, who who among us is like bright and cheery? You might wake up in a great mood and then you, you know, get an alert. Give it an hour. Look, doom scroll on Twitter, you read the paper, and then it's all over. But the other thing I want to add, because Dan was talking about not knowing the ending, and the one thing about Dan's novels that are so great, we've all talked about this during our editorial get-togethers on the phone, is that everything is so tightly plotted. So maybe the ending is a little up in the air for Dan, but especially in Sleepwalk, when you read it and you sort of first meet Will Bear, and then you, throughout the novel, pieces, his backstory you know, um, Dan shares the backstory, then everything starts to sort of fall into place. And you can't do that if you're just sitting down to type. So I feel like all of Dan's novels, like he has this idea, he might not know where he's going to end up. But until those last few chapters, everything is so tightly plotted that I think is sort of, you know, one of the great things about genre when you're writing a mystery or a thriller it can't be just sort of loosey goosey, right? Cause the end. Well,
2: and, and the form is sort of given to you. I right. mean, once you, once you, once you're committed to, I mean, that's what I, one of the reasons I mentioned Dungeons and Dragons is that, you know, there is the genre is this kind of container that can keep you on coloring within the lines, even though, it, you know, you can do whatever you want. There's an, in of things you can do within that container. And so that, I mean, that has helped me enormously is just having that, I'm writing a road trip noir novel and here are the things that I know are going to happen. Amnesia scape. Slightly empty, slightly lost, slightly delighted, holding it in my chest like a sustained cord driving 90 miles an hour. We leave I-70 and merge onto US 287 South. They say that tornadoes roam across this stretch all the time, but we don't see any. In Campo, Colorado, we stop for a moment to pee and buy meat sticks and gas, and then we stand in the gravel parking lot of the truck stop, staring out. The town of Campo, looks to be no more than 100 souls. God knows what they do with themselves here. It's flat, gray-yellow sod all the way to the horizon, barbed wire fences and transmission towers, kind of the way amnesia would look if it were a country. I unwrap a meat stick and take a bite, then give a piece to Flip, who mouths it thoughtfully from my fingers. You have to wonder about these settlers of the Great Plains, these white people who in olden times killed the natives and laid claim to this dirt and stuck to it, who stranded their children and grandchildren to a birthright of dust. A collection of clapboard shacks with backyards full of unmown pigweed and junked cars, abandoned swing sets and withered thirsty trees. Was the genocide worth it? I think this, and then I check myself. It isn't a fair way to think. The customer service at Campo Truck Stop is excellent. There's a polite, round-faced teenage girl behind the counter who smiles sweetly at my compliment. A tired-looking, bald manager with a set of worries on his shoulders hunches over his laptop. Who am I to look down on them, after all, even if they are the offspring of murderers? No doubt, in the great scheme of things, we are all of us the offspring of murderers, right? If we weren't, we probably wouldn't be here. We're in love
1: I still think you've got a beautiful mind Let's pick better partners next time
2: We're just north of Abilene, Texas, and I park behind the gas station like I was told to. It's an old Texaco station in the middle of the desert, a little stucco box with a couple of bare pumps and an impressively large logo sign on a pole. We made it in just under nine hours, which is a miracle, but it still means we're a little late. And when we pull up, the metal back door bangs open, and the silhouette of a woman stands in the doorway, her fists on her hips. I clamber out of the cab of the guiding star and lift my hand. Howdy, I call, but already she's turning over her shoulder to emit an angry string of, what, Russian? It sounds like. Stravstoyešte, I say. Proshu prosiňa, zapozdaniňa. Fuck you, motherfucker, she says. Don't you speak to me in your dirty Russian. I'm Ukrainian. And I can speak English just as good as you, so take your Russian and shove it up your lazy ass. You're late. She comes into view under a security light that looks over the back door on the dumpster. A dark haired woman in her late 30s, maybe. A grimace of scorn so tight that it must actually be painful to wear. I perform a little bow of apology. Traffic was terrible, I say, and try to think of a compliment I might give to her, but already she has turned her head. She yells in Ukrainian or whatever, and a short, broad-shouldered Mexican kid comes hurrying out carrying a cardboard box that says Kickin' Chicken on the side. In the box, in a nest of blankets, there is a tiny Caucasian infant. This is supposed to sleep for eight hours, the woman tells me. And we were told you would be here two hours ago. Yeah, I say, and the kid holds the box out to me. Delays beyond my control. Tough luck. Now you've got six hours before it wakes up, the Ukrainian woman says. Then it's your problem. Well, I say, I'm a little taken aback as I hold the box in my arms the poor critter is literally the size of a stewing chicken. How old is it? She waves her hand vaguely. boy. How do I know? She says. When it wakes up and you have to change his fucking diaper, you'll find out, eh? So there's the baby, the infant. I imagine it's three weeks old, give or take, and I sit down on this floor of the front cab beneath the passenger seat. It doesn't wake up. Ideally, I guess, I would have been given a car seat of some sort, but at this time of night, there's not really a place open where you could purchase one. Also, they might have given me some bottles of milk or whatever, but nobody offers me anything, so we set off. I figure it'll probably be fine. Even if the wee one does wake up, we can make do. I've got some coffee creamer in the camper that I can warm up, dilute it a little with water, put it in an eyedropper. I've always had a fondness for babies, and I think they can sense it because whenever I've been around them, they get real calm. You could say I have a magic touch. They just naturally think of me as their friend. It's the same with dogs. I can't tell you how many times I've had to break into somebody's house and their dog just came up to me wagging its tail, not uttering a single bark. Probably this is an under-the-table adoption. These happen all the time these days, and I think it's only fair that the mom receives some recompense for her trouble. I like the idea that I'll pass the little guy off to somebody who will sell him to some nice wealthy couple who will raise him as their own son. I picture a movie star and her kindly, infertile husband, or some gay guys in short sleeve shirts, hoping to make themselves a little family in Minneapolis. I picture them walking along through that rose garden in Lindale Park with a toddler between them, and they pass that pretty fountain with the cherubs on it, and they let him dangle his feet in the water. It could end up being real nice for our lad, is what I think, and I try not to imagine that he'll find himself in a laboratory of some rogue government research facility or in the hands of some cult that plans to sacrifice him to their dark god or on the butcher block of one of those organ-harvesting outfits who will slice him up and put his parts in saline jars. Honestly, I don't believe most of that stuff really happens that often. That's just hysteria whipped up by the media. It's beginning to sleet a little bit and I turn on the wipers and the defroster. Our lad is still fast asleep in his box and low to the floor is perfect for him. He's vibrated by the velocity of the wheels against the highway asphalt. You can actually see him juddering and he loves it. The rhythm probably reminds him of the womb or something and his little face is mushed up, sleeping hard, and the dog, half asleep on the passenger seat, gives the baby a stare I'd call rueful. He flares his nostrils, then flicks his eyes to me without lifting his head from where it's resting on his paws. Don't you look at me that way, I tell him. Up ahead on the left is a big wind farm, and it seems that a couple of the turbines have caught fire despite the sleet. The propeller blades are still turning without a care, but the nacelle behind them is ablaze, and it's quite a sight. 328 foot they are, and their crown of flames ripples back like long hair in the wind. The propellers take the smoke and whip it into a helix so it goes looping out in spiraling circles. It puts me in mind of that traditional Chinese dance they do with the silk ribbons, I reckon Lightning must have struck them, I tell Flip, but he doesn't raise his head. He's still disgruntled about the baby. We cross the border into Louisiana, and I huff something to take the edge off, but I don't want to overdo it. Being too awake is just as bad as being too sleepy. You want to try to find a zone that's a little bit outside of your body, kind of like you're following yourself and keeping an eye on things from a short distance away. We're passing billboards for a place called Gators and Friends Exotic Animal Petting Zoo, and for a moment I think that if we had more time I might make a pit stop, pluck our lad out of his box and take him for a stroll, Let him look at some llamas or monkeys or pot-bellied pigs or whatever exotica they might have to pet. Not that he'd remember it, of course, but he might enjoy it. I picture his baby hand reaching out and clutching at some soft creature's fur. In the midst of this reverie, I happen to glance over at the actual infant. Now, I'm not an expert on sleeping babies, but to my eye he seems unusually still, He's on his back in the kickin' chicken box, and his little hairless head has a kind of bluish cast. The limbs appear to be rigid in a way that concerns me. I feel my chest tighten. Hey, I say, loud enough to make Flip startle out of his dream with a quiver, but the child doesn't stir. Hey, I say again, still louder. Nothing. I can't tell if the child is breathing, and I have to keep glancing down from the road to the baby, and I'm starting to feel a panic rising inside me, and whatever Adderall or Midasus or other amphetamine I snorted begins to circle around in the center of my forehead in a way that feels like joyless, tuneless singing and prancing. The tiny hands of the baby seem to be rigor mortised into gnarled tree root shapes grasping upwards. We're coming up on an exit for Floridoy, and I'm guessing there'd be a hospital there, but I'm also thinking that it's not a good idea to go to an emergency room with an infant that you don't have the title for. And without wanting to, I'm already thinking about how I might dispose of the remains. Over the years, I've had to deal with my share of corpses, but I've never had to concern myself with a dead baby. I can picture myself taking his little body back to that petting zoo with the gators and friends. The gators would definitely take care of it, but is that the kind of person I am? Flip. Dang it, wake that baby. And Flip lifts his head and levels a bejowled, somber look at me. His bobbed tail gives a hesitant, uncertain wag. I gesture hard toward the baby in the footwell. Wake him up! Go on! I know very little about what goes on in Flip's mind, but I can tell you that he is a highly intelligent being and that he has previously given indication that he has powers beyond that of a mere dog. He doesn't know English exactly, but he understands more than you would expect. Wake it up, I say. And then the Adderall or what have you turns my words into birdsong, and I hear myself repeating, wake it up, wake it up, wake it up. Poor Flip gives me a puzzled disapproving stare, but follows my finger and points his muzzle towards our lad. He sniffs and after a moment gives the baby's mouth the most delicate of licks. The little hands jerk up and make a spastic wing beat. The tiny mouth opens wide like a cat yawning and emits a wail. It's okay. He's okay. Thanks to the Heavenly Father that I don't usually like that much. Our lad is alive.
1: I am the husband. Will be fine.
0: You you
1: the featured song in this first half is titled Everything by the band Caregiver. And now for a quick commercial break. Hey, you're listening to Storybound, and I'm speaking with author Dan Sean, as well as his colleagues, Renee Zuckerbrot and Carolyn Zancan.
2: One thing that makes Renee an amazing agent is that she has a memory like a steel trap when we first met she was like, "Oh yeah, I remember our freshman lookbook. You had a, a, the motto Dan never Danny." And I didn't remember that. How how she remembered it, I have no idea. Unless you still had the lookbook and we were
3: next no.
2: like, <laughs> before
3: I do not have the lookbook. I promise. <laughs> That's like gone and buried. But yeah, I've always had this sort of steel trap memory and i just remember the oddest things and my friends tease me for it so so anyway so dan and i go sort of way back i wish i had known you in college
2: maybe not though
0: (laughs) i was gonna say maybe not for me i'm not sure we'd be working together if you know me freshman year now i want college stories from dan but sorry go on No, no interesting college
3: stories, just, you know, the usual sort of insecure, whatever we were like as as freshmen. Yeah. And then we reunited, but all along we had friends in common and I was a huge fan. I mean, I read all of Dan's books as they came out and here we are now working together and with Carolyn and it's really a dream team.
2: Yep. So it, Renee came on after Ill Will had already come out, right?
3: No, I came on after Festival America, I think in 2016, and Ill Will is coming out in March. And so I was sort of nominally involved with Ill Will. I mean, I wasn't the agent of record. Right. And in the spring of 2017, we sold your next two books to Holt.
2: And that's where Caroline sort of came in.
0: Yeah, so I entered the picture really what what seemed like late days in the pandemic, which were actually early days in the pandemic. It was September, I think, of 2020, right? And I, too, had been a long-time Dan Sean fan. was kind of pinching myself at my luck and getting to work with him, and we dove right in. I I read the pages that were, were complete of the book, and it was everything except what, Dan, like the last three or five chapters?
2: Something like that, Yeah. Those were a hell to get through, though, those three to five chapters. They took me, I mean, I kept saying, I'll have it next week. And then it was like months past.
0: I raced through them as quickly as everyone who reads this book will and absolutely loved it as much as everyone will. And then, but of course it's, you know, as much as it's a brilliant literary novel, it's also really a page turner. He's telling you a story. And so to read as much as I did without the end, I was kind of wanting to know when i would be finished, partly for production schedule reasons, but partly just because I really wanted I didn't know what was going to happen. So I had my own like readerly interest in urging him to get those final chapters. But I think he landed on just the perfect ending. So I'm glad it took the timeline and the arc that it did.
2: Yeah, I think that that's the craziest and most horrible thing about the way that I've learned to write novels is that I never know the ending. And I feel like someday I'm going to be walking the tightrope and it's just going to break.
0: No, don't say that. Back on wood. I know. (laughs)
2: You know, there's there's that possibility. Like, I just don't know what the ending is. I'm sorry. We have to throw this away and start over. (laughs) There was a point with this one where just out of, I guess, sheer malice, I gave the book a really unhappy ending. And I showed my son and he was like, no, you cannot do this. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess... Um, I'm gonna go for the I'm gonna go for the cheese and just give the poor guy a happy ending. As happy as is possible in this world.
0: I remember you saying in between me reading the pages I did and, and the final that you were kind of contemplating two different endings, one was less happy than the other, and I remember just hoping that whole time that it would it would be the happy one and feeling extreme relief when it was. I wonder if you ever like are haunted by the endings you don't pick if you always have two endings in mind and if the, the untaken endings haunt you
2: well I knew that I would n- never kill a dog so that that was that was sort of I knew I had to save the dog somehow even if I killed the main character <laughs> <laughs> of all the trigger warnings that's the only one that I want is like if a, if, if a dog is killed in the course of a novel I want to know
1: There's still some more interview ahead. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. You're listening to Storybound, and I'm here with author Dan Sean, as well as his colleagues Renee Zuckerbrot and Carolyn Zancan.
2: I get frustrated with video games that are you know like that once you sort of get locked in and you have to do you have to do what the the game wants you to do it's like you have to do, you have to fight this boss and you have to and then you have to do this and then i'm like i i, I want freedom in my games
1: so you prefer that open world gaming field do you do pc games or console
2: i do a lot of pc games i just finished elden ring which was extremely frustrating i i i hate being made to do like a boss fight 50 times. I agree, it's the worst. It is the worst.
3: I don't even know what you're talking about. Is that okay?
2: (laughs) Yes, that's fine. I mean, you're an adult. I'm a 12 year old.
3: I mean, I know about LARPing and RPG and Dungeons and Dragons, (laughs) but I have no idea what you just said.
1: I haven't played Elden Ring, nor do I have a machine capable of playing it, but I am familiar. But in college, when I was working towards my bachelor's and writing and working 40 60 hours a week and not getting enough sleep i would write a little here then i would play a game then i'd write and i'd play a game and i'd sort of just go back and forth so i'm imagining are you doing something like that
2: oh yeah yeah no i mean i have i have a system of rewards and punishments that so so i have a writing goal and then if i finish that goal then i can do this for an hour or you know so it's there's all there's all kinds of things that I get to, I mean, because I do have a very, like capricious side of my brain that will just sometimes completely refuse to obey. You know, I just hear this part of my voice that says, I don't want to, I don't want to. And I can't, then I'm stuck because that's the part of my brain that actually creates things. I mean, it's amazing to me how a lot of people think that The executive function part of our brain can really do anything. It's totally not in charge for me. And no matter how many times it stamps its foot, it's not gonna get a novel written.
1: I was having a discussion with someone about the concept of free will, and they were like, well, I don't believe in free will, but I do believe that some people have more free will than others. You know, you can exert a little more over yourself than you than you may think, or maybe less than you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for joining me, Carolyn and Renee and Dan. It was a real pleasure to meet you.
0: My pleasure. Most fun thing of the week. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us.
1: Thanks, June.
0: Nice to meet you, June. See you, Dan. See you, Carolyn. Bye, guys. It was good to see you. Bye. Talk to you soon.
1: The story excerpts you heard in this episode were from Dan Sean's newest book, Sleepwalk, available now at your local bookseller. Thank you to Renee Zuckerbrot and Carolyn Zankan for joining us. Thank you to our friends at Henry Holton Company and Epidemic Sound. Production assistance by Matt Keeley, Joni Deutsch, Madison Richards, and Morgan Swift from the Pogglomerate. Social media help from Sylvia Beltil. Our production coordinators, Jordan Aaron. Our mix and engineers, Tim Carplus. Editing, sound design, scoring, arranging, hosting, mixing, and mastering for this episode were done by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are myself, Jeff Umbro of The Podglomerate, and Justin Alvarez of LitHub. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StoryBoundPod. You can also tweet at me directly at Jude Brewery. New episodes are every Tuesday. We'll see you next week.
2: Pod A Sonic Universe.